0: Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. The concept of branding as a business tool is old news now, but as our knowledge grows around brand and businesses, realise that brand is so much more than a logo and its subsequent power, this has translated from branding being solely for big business to small business and personal branding or as I like to say, professional brands or corporate characters. Today's show is all about the business of branding. Taking Care of Business is made possible by our friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Our next guest is always says, you deserve to be well-known, well-paid and wanted. Our personal branding specialist. Welcome, Lauren Clement. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's awesome to be here. Good to have you back on the show again. Now, I love that. You deserve to be well-known, well-paid and wanted. How?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting. It's what you said before. It's all about the fact that today people want to do business with people. And it is all about being personally a face of your business. And uh, people do work very, very hard, especially in small and micro business. And they do deserve to be known well for what they do and to have the respect of the marketplace because you work really hard. All, all your listeners will know this. Um, you know, you do probably more work in the small business than you would if you're in a corporate, um, you know, and you've got more at stake. So it's really important that you, live, you live up to what you believe in and you have people look at you and say, you know what, I believe in that and I'll follow you. Yeah. So how does the power of personal branding work? Okay, so the thing I noticed, and this is probably because for years I've worked in the branding industry and in the branding world, I worked, was very fortunate to work, work with some of world-leading advertising agencies over the years, and it was before the internet. So that tells you a bit about my age. <laughs> but um, but what I noticed back then was, was that it was relatively difficult to get your brand out there if you were a small business. Um, there are only a few channels available to you, TV and radio and uh, maybe the magazine or the newspaper and billboards and so on. Um, and because of that, I think people used to spend a lot more time really thinking about their strategy and what they wanted to be known for and, and the effects they wanted to have with their brand and how they wanted to engage people, whereas today there's many more options and now you can start your own TV channel on YouTube, you can start your own radio station with a podcast, you can start your own magazine with a blog. Um, The trouble with that is today it's almost too easy and I don't think people are really considering what the outcome is and what they want to affect with their brand in terms of their personality, in terms of how people connect and engage with you. And they're just getting out there and doing what I call Wastam marketing, Jackie. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wastam before.
0: No, but I love I, I love your your creation of terms and words. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised you've come up with that one. That's a good one.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't come up with this one. It's an old New Zealand one. I've got, ah. to, got to be honest. It comes from my country of But W-O-F-T-A-M basically stands for waste of slipping time and money. Ah. So, uh, so that's what I see really being a huge danger to a lot of small to medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs is they end up doing this, wasting their time and money on stuff that doesn't really work just because somebody said, oh, look, you really should be on Snapchat or, look, where you need to be now is Instagram or all these different things, Mm. and there's no strategy behind it. And you end up really, really paper thin and wondering what on earth you should be doing to cut through, especially when there's so many other people out there doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, in my uh, work, that I do do some work in uh, the personal branding space, and one thing that I've found in with uh, particularly with entrepreneurs or our senior managers, anyone wanting to look at their personal brand from a business perspective, they get a bit confused about the at-home personal brand versus the work personal brand. Have you found that? Have you come across that?
1: I think a lot of people are concerned about what is the difference between a business brand and a personal brand? And my view on this is it is the same thing. Um, And I think it's more and more the case that people are really looking for authenticity so that when they're dealing with somebody in a business sense, they know that that's the real person that they're dealing with. And actually, Jackie, I think it's too hard. It really is too hard to try to create multiple brands in the world, um, especially when there's so much competition and so much overwhelm. I mean, in the 70s, our brain was having to deal with about 500 branded messages a day. And today it's close to the 5,000. So, you know, you've got to cut through and to try and manage two different brands for yourself and for your business is just too hard. And if you look at the ones who do it well, the likes of, say, for example, Richard Branson. So he's got a a standout personal brand, but his own personality and his flavour and the things he believe in and the things that he really stands for flow over into the Virgin brand. And that could be regardless of whether you're on one of his planes or one of his health clubs or hotels or anything that he's doing, you get that same emotional connection. That you'd get if you were working with
0: them direct. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about the, the speed of communications increasing every day and that's making yeah. our poor brains uh, become overloaded. So I'm really glad that you touched on the brain. It's a particular area of interest of, my, of mine. And I've noticed that you've got a book on Amazon called Neuro Guidebook, The Hidden Message in Your Brand. Tell us more
1: about that. Yeah, so that is. I love it. I, well, both of us, I think, have talked about this before. about how important it is to understand the brain inside your prospects, because I think I don't think it ever really worked all these different sales ploys and different ways of getting people to buy. Um, I think it's really important that everyone understands that the brain has a certain way of making decisions, and that has never changed. It's been the same for years and years, and regardless of the fact that we now have this two-way communication with our social media and everything else that goes on. Um, we still have to deal with the fact that the human brain just wants to do things in a certain order. It wants to know what it's dealing with. It wants to know should I run away from this or should I engage with it? That's the amygdala inside your brain. And then it wants to connect. Is there something you've got that I actually want? Can you help me? And is it going to be an enjoyable experience working with you? That's that whole no like and trust. Mm. And neuro branding is just a way of understanding how the brain sees brands. And I've got these and, you know, in air quotes with my fingers as I say it, Um, because you need to understand that the brain wants to assimilate information when it meets somebody, when it sees you as a business person or entrepreneur or somebody leading the way in in the corporate world or in um, non-for-profits, whatever you're doing, it wants to assimilate that information in a certain way. And it sees brands with emotion. And that's, I think, probably the number one question that most people should be asking if they're thinking about creating a personal brand that stands out is how do you want to make people feel? Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's so I mean, true. Maya Angelou said it, didn't she? Um, people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful that emotional side of it, and that's that's really the the, the foundation of it all. But you mentioned in that um, some hidden stories in popular brands that uh, that maybe most haven't noticed these subliminal messages.
1: Yes,
0: are really key. But we've also got to be careful from an ethical point of view. I think that um, we don't use it for evil; that it's used for good because it is a form of brainwashing. What's your yeah, view?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess that thing, isn't it? Any sort of knowledge is power, isn't it? If you know how the brain works and what it's going to connect with and engage with, then obviously you're going to play that that same, you know, push that same button over and over again to get that result. But I think you're right, Jackie, as long as you're coming from a, a place of authenticity and you're saying, this is how I want my brand to make people feel, regardless of whether they're dealing with me in person or one of my staff or whether they're seeing one of my ads or interacting on a website. Um, and that's where it comes in, in terms of really being very quick with how you engage people's brains so that you at least get their attention. Mm. Then you can spend the time building the relationship and telling them why you're so passionate about what you do, talking about how you can help them and what the transformation is for them. But you're right, it, it happens very, very, the brain, the brain deals with this information and millions of bits of information so quickly that if you don't know what you're doing and you don't figure out how to get that neurobranding science to work for you, you just won't even be seen, let alone noticed.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, you also mentioned you've got a business card test. Tell us a bit more about that.
1: (laughs) I've been talking quite a lot about business cards recently, actually, and somebody said to me, do we even really need them in this day and age? And I know there's electronic cards, and whenever I go networking, somebody just says, oh, I'll watch your LinkedIn profile, or we'll hook up on Facebook, and do you really need a business card? To me, a business card is, it's a little mini billboard for your business, and it helps with that recall so that um, when they they need something a lot later on, they go, oh, there's that person that talked to me about either dental hygiene for my dog or whatever it is,
2: um,
1: and they look for your card, and they can remember that it was bright green or it was orange or whatever the standout color is. So the business card test very much is if you could give it to somebody and they could tell from looking at your card exactly what it was that you do, and what your standout point of difference is, and they could actually repeat that back to you without even asking any questions, then you've done a good job. And it is neuro-branding, it's understanding all those colours, and it's like you said, Jackie, the big brands, the big advertising agencies know this, and they've done it for years. They can use colour and design and shape and even negative space to convey a particular meaning and a particular message. You just look at the, the um, FedEx logo, for example, and there's some really awesome neuro-branding that goes on with that logo. Um, and it's already, even if you haven't even used FedEx, most people could tell you, what does that brand stand for? And they would say, speedy delivery, I can trust that it's going to get to the place that I want it to go to. It's not going to go round to China and London and um, Canberra before it gets to me here in Sydney. You know, they know if you get them on FedEx, it's going to get there directly and, and it's going to be fast. And even if you haven't used FedEx, that's probably what you would suggest that brand is all about.
0: Yeah, it's really about what people are saying about your brand when you're not there. So The business card test is a good one, and I agree with yeah. you that I don't think people think enough about the business card design, uh. but at least they're there to explain it. And most of the time now with social media and digital, customers' prospects and current customers' stakeholders are looking at you and looking at your <laughs> brand, and it's you're not there to explain what it means. So it has to work for you uh, when <laughs> yeah. you're not there. And I, I like um, you, you, you're about your content rule. So brand, a really important part of brand now is social media and content because we can start creating relationships with brand. And mm. you've got a 30-30-30-10 rule for content to post, to build your personal brand. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. So just very quickly, you're quite right with in terms of, The brand is there to tell your story for you before people even meet you, which could include your business card or anything. It really is about gut instinct. And that's what most of the brain makes its decisions on. Immediate, you know, that whole thing, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, unfortunately, people do. So (laughs) you've got to to allow for gut instinct. If you go with that, it'll give you a a really good guide of what, what you should do with your brand. But you're right. Social media is the same thing. And this is back to that wasp that I see happening all the time. People jump onto Instagram or they jump onto Facebook or whatever it is, and they start putting lots of content up there. And I think if content is king, then engagement is the queen of hearts. Mm. So you've really got to not just put... Everyone asks me, well, how often should I be posting content to build my personal brand? It really isn't a case of how much. It's about what you put on there. And the 30-30-30-10 rule just keeps you mindful of of making sure that what you're posting a with your brand but it also engages in it that immediate standout factor that people will notice and they'll know you as being the expert in your field so if you want to be known as the best apartment um, selling real estate agent or the best person for migraines or um, the best person to um, set up a business for you and do your accounting and your books then you need to make sure that you follow a rule that helps anything you post on social media really connect and engage with the people that you're interacting with. Because the thing about social media, which is awesome, is it's a two-way street. People yeah. actually respond back to you. They get they get engaged and they like and they comment. That's what you want with social media is to pe- have people active on your posts. So the 30-30-30-10 rule is really simple. It obviously adds up to 100%, so they're percentages. So 30% of the time, you could be talking about yourself, about your business, about specials, about deals, about staff, about news that you have within your business, about a new office or a a different thing that you're offering or a new book, or talk about yourself only 30% of the time. Not 50% and certainly not 100%. Um, I know a lot of people will talk about, you know, when you see people, all they talk about is themselves constantly on social media, you unfollow them because you just don't... We don't care. The human brain is more interested in itself than it is in anybody else. So only 30% of the time, and that includes selling. The other 30 is definitely sharing um, information. So giving away really good tips and content that helps people, because that will tell your audience that not only are you very generous with the information and the expertise that you have, but that you've got a lot of it. And if man, you're giving this away on social media, what what could I get from this business if I worked with them? If I can give you five tips to to avoid um ticks for your dog, or three ways of doing yoga before you start breakfast, or five ways you can avoid having a heart attack. Um, you know, all these different tips and, and insights that you can share that really does help reflect the fact that you know what you're talking about and you've got some really good content.
0: Yeah, um, and just and just, just to finish be. up, I'm conscious of time, Lauren, I'm afraid. Yeah, sure so on. we've got 10%, so the last bit is the fun, yeah, yeah. inspiration. So, yeah,
1: so, so the, other, the other 30 was news about your industry. Mm. So 30 about you, 30 about information, 30 about news, because that tells people you're engaged with what's going mm. on in your market. And the last 10% is fun and inspiration.
0: Yeah, that's that's really good. Lauren Clement, thank you very much. If anyone wants to find more about you and how to be well-known, well-paid and wanted, uh, they can find you online everywhere.
1: (laughs) You're very easy. I'm I'm actually in Melbourne. Um, I'm doing a half-day workshop in Melbourne in September. So they're welcome to come along and spend some time with me and work on their personal brand. It's going to be an awesome
0: time, and I haven't done very many workshops in Melbourne. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Well, uh, we're we'll hopefully to get a bit warmer for you because you're up in uh, the nice Sunshine Coast today, I believe. Yes, I am. It's awesome and beautiful and sunny today. Lucky <laughs> you. Well, at least we're nice and warm here in the studio. But if uh, if anyone wants to find out more about Lauren Clement, they can uh, they can find you online. As as all good brands should be easy to find. Lauren Clement, thanks, thanks again thanks. for your time. Thanks, Jackie. It's been awesome. Yeah, Grow Always great talking to you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. As workplace demands continue to increase, we are searching for ways to hack your day, streamline our, streamline our approach and boost our communication to start leading in a more effective and efficient way. Our next guest has helped thousands of leaders around the world implement fast-tracked strategies that improve results. Leadership Pathfinder, Scott Stein, welcome to the show. Yes, thanks, Jackie.
3: Great to be
1: here.
0: I love the term Leadership Pathfinder. How did you come up with that?
3: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting one. Um, My, You can tell I have a bit of an accent. Um, I actually grew up in America. And I've been in Australia 22 years, but my heritage back in America uh, is Cherokee. Oh. So I my great-grandmother was a full-blooded Cherokee medicine woman. And um, she married outside the tribe and broke the bloodline, so none of it was passed on. But I've always been drawn to the bush. And um, I've studied with people the ways of the Apache and Native Americans and things like that. So pathfinding is a big part of what I do, kind of looking at that ancient wisdom. And, um, the leadership side is kind of the space that I've operated in for over the last 20 years. Um, back, back in, in fact, longer than that, back in America and in Australia. But yeah, it's a bit of a blend of the two.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad I asked that question. And also, it's a nice story. And, and you know, our, our brains love stories. It helps us make sense of the world around us. But I'm interested in your, uh, leadership hacks. And, uh, you said that leadership hacks are shortcuts. So where does a leader start? Like what are some of the shortcuts leaders should be looking for?
3: Yeah, I think that there's a whole range. And that's what I found when I was researching the book and putting it together. And even from what I heard across either small business owners or middle-level managers or even CEOs, they were all saying the same thing. They were saying, we just don't have enough time to get the things done that we have on our plate. Um, and, And I need faster ways to do it. And and I think that's what leadership hacks do. It it allows them to find a shortcut, a fast-track process to get things done in less time. And when I started researching it, what I found is there's kind of three different groups of hacks that leaders could use. One is things that they can do themselves to hack their own time, their own activity, and their own focus. Um, The other group of of hacks are kind of hacks they can do one-on-one. So if they have direct reports or staff, how do they hack their approach so they actually get a connection quicker? and get them to do things faster in less time. And then the other one is if you're a leader or a manager, you normally have a team of people, either a department or an organization. There's also some team hacks, some specific things that they can do to kind of mobilize a team to kind of hack their approach with them. So they really fall into those three broad categories.
0: Yeah, now the book was great and I should mention it's called Leadership Hacks, clever shortcuts to boost your impact and results. And one of the areas in it that that grabbed my attention was the concept of attention because I personally believe that it's the most undervalued resource we have. Now the enemy of attention is distraction, and you talk about distractions slowing you down. So what are some of the distractions that do slow leaders down?
3: Yeah. Nail on the head, Jackie. Everybody's distracted, you know, and and, which means we don't get productive. We don't get the things done that we need to. Um, Udemy did a report, an in depth study in 2018, and what they found is 69% of all full time employees are distracted at work, right? They're just saying there's too many things going on. So, what I found is there's really five main distractions that leaders or managers need to be aware of. Um, The first one is about lack of energy. If we're going, too fast, and we're not taking time to recharge our batteries, we start to slow down. Our mental processes get slower, and we don't have that spring in our step that we used to. And that's one of the biggest distractions that I'm mm-hmm. finding right now. And it doesn't matter what the industry it's in, people just not taking the time to look after themselves, uh, get the sleep they need, eat the right way, do the diet, the exercise, so they do have the energy to perform. That's probably the biggest distraction that I've noticed.
0: Yeah, sleep is critical and I, and I, I must admit, Scott, I, I get a bit annoyed or actually I'll probably get upset when I see things, you know, hashtag sleep is for the weekend and that, you know, and it's almost like a badge of honor that I only need three or four hours sleep a night where it's, it's actually the opposite. The more sleep or good quality sleep you bet, the better you're going to perform, the better, the better you're going to be at everything.
3: Yeah. And what I also find is again, we as human beings had, have- an amazing ability to kind of spring back. And and we can, and I know of leaders that have had to you know, burn the midnight oil, don't get a lot of sleep. The thing is, you can't maintain it. Mm. And that's the thing that I think people are getting wrong. They're not going, all right, I had to push hard for a week, and then they're not going, all right, what am I going to do to make up for it? What am I going to do to make sure that I don't fall into this pattern? And then you throw all the other distractions in there around mindset and the biological need to be busy, that's another thing. You know, people just keep clicking their inbox and they're just checking for their mail. You know, and it's almost like I just need to fill this time. Um, and, and that really goes back to there was a study in the 1950s uh, by James Olds and Peter Milner. And what they did is they actually used rats as part of their experiment to stimulate the parts of the brain that release dopamine whenever the rat has, has the lever or lever. And what they found, the rats got so addicted to this kind of hit of dopamine is they would press the lever up to 700 times per hour. Oh. And what the research is showing is we as humans are kind of the same. You know, we just want to check our inbox. Yeah. We just want to double check it. Is it there? Is it not there? Which means we're getting distracted. We're not focusing on the things that we really should be.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, we're really geared to tapping into our reward center of our brain, aren't we? That we're getting these sort of, sh- these, these shots of uh, dopamine to, to keep us going. Now you mentioned, uh, the speed of communication, which is a really big thing at the moment that, you know, it's business is getting faster and faster and faster every day. And you mentioned in the book some tech shortcuts to get faster results. Can you give us a little, a little clue as to what that'd be?
3: Yeah, I think it's two two really simple and really important ones that you can use when it comes to technology and specifically email. Um, One of them in emails is is hacking your inbox. You know, what I'm finding is people aren't aren't smart about how they could actually stay on top of their inbox and their email. And there's a really uh, simple four-step hack that I found that quite a few leaders use already, but they're just unconscious to it. Um, The first step is just um, scanning your email. Right? Not reading through it, but just a quick scan. Mm. The second step is delete the things that aren't relevant. Don't even leave them there. Get rid of them straight away. The third one is then go back and sort the ones that are important. And again, if you're using Gmail or Microsoft Outlook, you can actually set it up so it automatically sorts them by the people you know anyway. And then, of course, the fourth step is response. So what, what I'm finding is that a simple little hack, if people were to organize themselves with their inbox, it makes it a lot easier for them to stay on top of it. Right. So that's, that's one of those. The other one is about sending emails. And, geez, um, you know, if you look at all the emails that were sent, uh, we're bombarded. We mm. get more and more emails every day. And the challenge is, you know, I'm going to send something out. Am I just adding to the mass chaos and overcommunication? Or can I make it easy and clear for the person that's receiving my email to do something with it? So a couple of hacks on sending emails. Uh, one is make sure that you tailor the subject line. Right? Yep. Make it relevant. Make it clear on what you want them to do. You know, make your message link clear. Use visual texture in your email. So you don't just type out, know, bang out a flat email with just normal text. Put bold in it. Underline it. Put bullets. Make it visually pop. And the other thing that's really important is let them know what you want them to do with the email. So here's what I mean by that. Either There's really five outcomes. If you ever send an email, there's five things that you normally want that person to do. One of them is just FYI, I need you to be aware of this information. The other one is I need you to gather some information or provide some detail to me. Um, the third one is we need to make a decision. The fourth one is I need you to take action on this. And the fifth one is we need to make. So even putting one of those five specific outcomes in an email that you send in the subject line or at the very beginning, that gives people context so they know what they could do with that email that you're sending to them. And what people do is they appreciate that.
0: Yeah, oh, they're they're great pearls of wisdom. Now, Scott, I always like to ask guests if someone was coming to you looking at starting a business, and there's a real growth in entrepreneurs and startups and people giving it a go, which I think is great, but a lot of going in blindfolded. If they came to you and said, Scott, could you give me a tip on what I should be focusing on, or a tip of what I should do with starting a business? What pearl of wisdom would you share?
3: Yeah, geez, there's a lot of them. That's, yeah, I that's know. So I'm big, asking for really one. one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's be clear on what you want. Uh, be really clear on what you want. I, I think having a business and starting a business is an amazing experience. Um, and what I also think is a lot of people go into it quite, um, naive. So they're not really clear what they want to get out of it. So I always ask, well, all right, if you're going to start this business, why? You know, what do you want it to offer to you in the next three to five years? Is it you? It's an income. Is it? It's a passion. Is it you want to have the time so you can go to your children's school and not actually be doing the daily grind in an office somewhere? You know, what, what is it that's really driving you? And if it's more than one of those, even better. But it's also about, all right, how are you going to make that happen and put it in place so you can make a living and not lose sense of who you are as well?
0: Yeah. Oh, see, that is, that's gold. I love it. Scott Stein, your new book, Leadership Hacks, Clever Shortcuts to Boost Your Impact and Results is available wherever you buy books. And I have read most of it. I can't lie. And so I've read back to back, but I've, um, I'm going to continue reading it and I really enjoy it. And there's some really useful Practical tips of, uh, of some shortcuts and we're all looking for that now as, uh, we're all seem to be getting less and less time. <laughs> Absolutely. Scott Stein, thank you again for your valuable time today and I really appreciate it. Thank you,
3: Jackie. Have a great
0: day. Yeah, you too. You're listening to Taking Care of Business exclusively here on Art or PFM and podcasts. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a content manager, editor, and publisher. She is also turning entrepreneurs into authors. Jackie Pretty, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Now, your book, Blue Book Blueprint, uh, we chatted about that wonderful book, which has won so many awards. It was just over 12 months ago. It was just being launched. How's it going?
2: Um, the book is going really well, actually, um, in the sense that it's getting into the hands of my target market. They're using it. It's helping them write great books. I actually had a Skype call on Friday with a couple of authors from the US who had actually sent the blueprint they'd written to me and really just wanted feedback on whether they were doing it right. So it was exciting to see the knowledge from the book being turned into more books, if you like.
0: Yeah, well, I, I get to read a lot of books and... Uh and it was—it's a really easy, great book to read. So anyone looking at writing a book, uh, this is this is the book to, to to look at. It's called Book Blueprint. And now, since that—that uh, that, that was just over twelve months ago, as I said—have you got another book in you? What are you what are you up to now? <laughs> well, I did release a mini book earlier this year, and
2: a mini book is a book like thing, if you like. It's a shorter version of a book, so about a six. 60 to 90 pages, so sort of like what you see in the gift section at Dimmick. Mm. And it's a great way for people to become published authors if they don't feel like they have a full book in them just yet. So I was chatting to my publisher in the US a couple of years ago and he mentioned they were launching these books and I said, "Oh, I've actually written something that's about the word count you're looking for. So they picked that up and it was released May of this year. So it's called Fund Your Book and it's about five steps to form powerful funding partnerships. So you find partners who are willing to sponsor your book or who are willing to pre-order large numbers of copies, which then covers your publishing expenses.
0: Oh, that's, that's a great idea. So can I just say clarify. So you've got book blueprint, which is classified as well, a normal book, but this Maybe. is a short version. And what, what what was the term you used for the shorter a version? Mini book. A mini book. So what's the criteria? Like what's the word count for a mini book versus the criteria for a normal book?
2: So it can vary. A normal book is usually between 30,000 and 45,000 words. At mm. the lower end, you might be Looking at say 20 to 25,000, but any lower than that, it really starts to feel like a booklet. Mm-hmm. For a mini book, it's more like 7 to 10,000 words.
0: Okay, which is so much more achievable because I think that's a real stumbling block for many people thinking of writing a book. How am I going to get all these words mm-hmm. out? So, this mini book, I see that as a real growth area for publishing. What's your view?
2: Absolutely. Um, it's, it's exactly like you said. A lot of entrepreneurs They've got so much on because they're running a business, of course, that it can be a struggle to get a book out there. Mm. It is a struggle to write that many words. So a mini book is a great stepping stone. It still adds to their credibility. It gives them something tangible they can hand to potential clients. So definitely a growth area.
0: Okay. So uh, there's, since we spoke last, as I said, it was just over 12 months ago, and it was a real booming uh, area that everyone's sending you writing a book. Well, that seems just to be growing. Everyone I know. And then everyone keeps saying to me, you need, to write a, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like where am I going to find the time and why? <laughs> um, you know, so look, it's on the list, but it's one of those that, you know, it's got to sort of fit into the overall plan. I much prefer mm-hmm. having, having conversations, having a two-way thing is my uh, area. But people get this sort of obsession with writing a book, Have you found that? Is it still growing like it seems to have gone berserk? Has it reached saturation or has it still got room to grow? I think there is still room
2: to grow, but the market is becoming more saturated and that just means that if you are thinking about writing a book, it's really important to do it right. Mm. Um, I always liken it to 15 years ago when a lot of small business owners didn't have websites and having one was almost a sign of legitimacy, whether it was a good one or not. And today, because more and more people are writing books, you really need to make sure it's high quality content. It's edited well. It's designed well. Otherwise, if you do it like poorly, if it's a poor quality book, if you if it looks cheap, it can actually be detrimental. I think so. Yes, because the market is getting more saturated, quality is more important than ever.
0: Okay, that's a really good tip because I see these books and particularly ones that are self-published, you've got to be really be wary. Because it, it's hard mm-hmm. to get a book deal. Okay, it always is, always will be, it always is. So people are like, oh, well, self-published, which is not a, a bad idea, but it's actually getting it right. Because if it is a poor quality, that then translates to your brand being of a poor, poor quality because it's an extension of yourself. It's, I suppose uh, it's the ultimate business card in a way. Absolutely, and, but it can be a very expensive business card. So what sort of budget would someone be looking at? If they're thinking of writing a book, how much money should they be saving up into their business account?
2: It can vary quite a bit, and I do have a blog post on the Grammar Factory website about this which breaks down every stage of the process, what the typical range is and the reasons for that range. So if I use editing as an example... Editing alone can range from $500 to about $6,000. And the reason there's such a broad range there is because at the $500 end of the spectrum, you're working probably with a proofreader who's just going to correct your spelling and grammar, mm. and that's it. Whereas when you're up at the $6,000 end of the range, you're probably working with an editor over multiple rounds of edits. There's a good chance there pulling your book apart, putting it back together, doing a fair bit of rewriting for you. And there might be a second editor involved in the process who's reviewing it or doing the final proofread. So, and that's just editing. So Mm. that holds true across the entire publishing process. So people who do it quite cheaply can do it for a couple of thousand dollars, but it's also quite common for people to spend fifteen to $30,000 if they're if they're hiring the right people, if they're working with a team end-to-end, and particularly if they're working with an end-to-end self-publishing company because obviously end-to-end companies do have a margin. They've got to charge above and beyond the suppliers or team members they work with.
0: Okay. Of course, there's uh, the design element, there's printing. Now, in your experience, Jackie, what advice would you give anyone looking at a book with a limited budget where they should put their money. Should they be putting the majority of their budget in the editing side of it or in the design side of it? Or what would what would be your advice?
2: I think the editing is where they should focus simply because while while design is definitely important and your book does need to look good and needs to look professional, if you spend all of your money on the cover and then really just print the Word document in the middle and no one's looked at it or no one's done significant work on it. What can happen is you just destroy all of the work you've done with the cover because suddenly there's a typo on page one or Mm. your argument doesn't make sense. So all of that money you've invested in the design has just been wasted because the content doesn't live up to it.
0: Right. So
2: I'd say focus on the editing and then whatever's left over, put that towards the design and printing and so on. Um, Something else to think about is that obviously printing can be a significant expense. So some authors might not choose to get a print run when they first print their book. They might just set it up on Amazon and other online retailers as print-on-demand, and then they can order copies as they need to, which can save a bit of money up front.
0: Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you about ebook. I know a few people do that. It's just a digital copy. They don't have to uh, do the print side of it as a, as an alternative. Uh, is there a particular trend or growth in, in the category of books? Like, have you seen a big gro- g- growth in um, business books or self-help books?
2: Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so nonfiction in general is growing quite a bit, and particularly business and self-help. Uh, What I'm finding is growing is the shorter books. So I mentioned earlier 30 to 45,000 words as a guideline for a book. That's about, in print it would be about A5 and around 200 pages. So those lighter books that get straight to the point that someone can read on a plane from Melbourne to Brisbane, Mm. they're becoming very popular rather than the more weighty tomes you might have seen. Ten mm. or twenty years ago
0: yeah 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 because because most people now a lot of people are reading on Kindle or the reading on yeah. their phone because it's just an extra bit of weight that they're carrying even though we still like to be out of touch and feel a book so they'll always be there but for traveling that's a different market I suppose in a way
2: mm, absolutely and if you are writing for a business audience particularly a successful business owner business audience or a senior executive business audience they're probably going to be traveling quite a bit and will be using digital devices because they don't want to lug around a suitcase of books with them everywhere
0: yeah See, that's a great strategic insight because people get, they're thinking about themselves and their book and you need to go and think, okay, who's going to read it? Who's the target audience? What do they do? How are they going to read? It? Are they going to read it on a plane? Are they going to read it on their holiday? Are they going to read it at home? Are they going to read it on a device? And actually really going into the mind of, of the, their audience is, is really key.
2: Absolutely, and it's one of the first things that I tell my clients to focus on right when they're thinking of their book idea, because the audience is going to, it's going to inform how you communicate your message. It's going to inform the the style of your cover. It's going to inform the format you publish in. So it's crucial to know that upfront.
0: Yes now I just wanted to touch base you've got as you said you've got a blog on your website the Grammar Factory and I just want to talk about the Grammar Factory because I know I follow you on social media and I love all your grammar glitches that you find and how how bad people are with their spelling and why does spelling matter?
2: I think it comes back to credibility because if There's like saying how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you aren't taking the time to ensure that a Facebook ad or a social media post or a blog post or a book is written correctly and it's written clearly, then subconsciously your audience thinks that's how you treat everything and they're going to think that you take the same care or lack of care with
0: the product or service you provide. Yes, and I, I do agree with that. Now, what's one of your pet hates, Jackie Pretty? Just to delve <laughs> a bit deeper. What's a, what's a common spelling mistake that really grinds your gears? For me, it isn't the spelling mistakes. It's just
2: the misuse of apostrophes, which I see everywhere, and that drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> and what, what words should we be using less, and which words should we be using more? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. Is it, hmm is it Have is got you on the spot there <laughs> you have i haven't thought about that. yeah well i suppose um, I, i'll just to, while you're giving you some time some thinking time i just think using less words so l- hmm. less is more you know and actually really choosing wisely about each single word that you use and if you can get your point across in a, in a sentence that contains eight words instead of 18 words, and that's going to be more effective. But I think using words that have a sensory uh, expression to them and, and touch in on emotion. And there was some recent um, neuroscience research, which I'm keenly involved with and, and uh, one of my little hobbies, is there was some evidence to show the power of a sensory word. So they used... The expression that when someone said, I've had a difficult day versus I've had a rough day. So you use the word rough instead of difficult and rough's a real sensory word. And the areas in the brain lighted up, sorry, were were lighting up with the word rough that it got a much stronger reaction from the audience that they actually understood the concept of what was trying to be said in that word, in that sentence. So there you go. I've given you some time to think. Any thoughts? No, that
2: makes a lot of sense. And I think that we all have crutch words that we use. So when it comes to what words we should use and what we shouldn't, I'd just say look for the words you don't usually use and try to integrate them into your vocabulary. And some examples of crutch words are things like saying really all the time or very or something is always such and such or never such and such Mm. uh, rather than the example you gave was perfect, rather than saying difficult, rough is the perfect word for that situation, whereas when you start using or when you rely on those crutch words like difficult, you find yourself inserting all of the really's and varies to try and make it stronger, whereas if you have the strong word to begin with, it's much more powerful.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great bit of advice. And, and I think simplicity, and, and I'm wanting to... Uh, go and speak like I'm in grade three, not grade 11, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I came across something the other day and it was the – um I was doing a presentation that had been written, part of it had written for me, and, uh, and it was to students, and they used the word scribe, and and what they actually meant to say was just note-taker, but they used scribe, and no one understood what it meant. I'm talking, there's a room full of 19-year-olds, mm-hmm. and I looked at the word, I thought, that, that word doesn't mean, it's like a 100 years ago that they used the word scribe, mm-hmm. you know, no one uses that, and, and I actually asked them who knew, knew what it meant, and there was quite a few international students there as well. Well, of course, they didn't know. And even the ones with English as their first language, they had no clue. And so it's just about simplicity because we're, the speed of communication is so fast that the more simple we can communicate, then the more effectively we're going to get engagement and understanding. Yes, that's so true. Yes. Well, I think we'll leave it there as I'll just get off my soapbox there. Jackie <laughs> Pretty. Jackie Pretty, always a delight chatting with you. Now you're about to head off overseas. What's going on there just quickly?
2: I am in fact next week I'm moving to Estonia. Estonia uh, which, why? Well, Estonia it turns out it's the startup capital of Europe. So, it's ah. where Skype was founded and after that a lot of the tech startups just congregated there in the capital which is Tallinn. Right. So, I've actually gotten an opportunity to do some content marketing work with a company over there. Mhm. And yes that's all happening very
0: quickly so next week fantastic well we wish you continued success and i look forward to our next encounter because there's always lots of pearls of wisdom from you jackie pretty thank you for your valuable time today you're very welcome thank you for having me jackie always great you're listening to taking care of business we're right back after this welcome back to taking care of business that's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the Pfm website, Adolpfm.com.au, or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11 a.m. In the meantime... Keep taking care of your business.